slides it out for Ekblad. Back to Hoffman, blocked by Polak and Price. Another spectacular stop. Broussard tees it up, and a save is made by Bobrovsky. Nelson, Marcel with the open net, and he scores! Hi, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, everybody, welcome to the weekend edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. So glad you could join us today. Rough game for the New York Islanders. They fall to the Tampa Bay Lightning 2-1. to one. That is now the score in the series. We'll talk about what happened in this game, why the Islanders fell short, and why I feel this was really a mixed bag. Not as good, obviously, as Game 1, not as bad as Game 2. We'll break it all down for you. Meanwhile, this episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me Wednesdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. So, the Islanders fall 2-1. to one. They trail in the series 2-1. to one. And overall, the, the, the problems that I had with this game concentrating a lot more on the offense than it was on the defense, and then we'll break it all down. If there's something Islanders related on your mind, you have a question, a comment, a topic that you'd like us to talk about, feel free to send us an email, the email address LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com, and if you leave your name and where you're from, we are happy to mention you on the show when we talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. You could also follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Isles, and you could follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at Ice Wars, N-Y-R-V-S-N-Y-I. We'll keep you up to date on all the latest Islanders news, notes, and happenings, uh, and I'm also live tweeting during all Islanders games. So the final score, 2-1, to one, the only goal of the game scored by Cal Clutterbuck for the Islanders. And let's start with something uh, in my mind that is important. The Islanders' team defense played well enough to win this game. And the goaltending was good enough to win this game. And that's what's so frustrating about the final outcome. Because when you're facing a team as deep and as talented as the Tampa Bay Lightning, and you look at the numbers, try this, okay? For the game, Tampa Bay had 25 shots on goal, and the Islanders went through long stretches of this hockey game where the Lightning did not really even threaten very much, did not do much of anything uh, as far as, you know, getting shots are concerned. In the third period, Tampa Bay had a grand total of five shots on goal, and some of them came pretty late in the contest, but at the end of the day, that goal was a killer uh, late in the second period, and that turned out to be the game winner, and we're going to break that all down as well, but here here are some interesting statistics, and I think it shows why, uh, or illustrates how the Islanders did a good job defensively. 
Nikita Kucherov for the Lightning, zero shots on goal. Braden Point, two shots on goal. Now, yes, one of them went in. Uh, Steven Stamkos, one shot on goal for Tampa Bay. Andre Palat, one shot on goal. The big guns on this team did not get a lot of chances. And the Islanders, for most of the hockey game, did a good job of keeping you know, themselves in sound defensive position, not allowing Tampa Bay to, to be able to attack the net the way they wanted to. And when you look at the shot chart again, Tampa Bay had maybe five or six quality chances uh, from the danger area, but two of them ended up inside the Islanders' net, and I don't blame Simeon Varlamov for either of those goals. The Islanders positionally were sound. They stayed out of the penalty box. In fact, that each team essentially had one power play, and the call against Adam Pellick late in the second period was technically, you know, the right call. It wasn't a great uh, play by Pellick. It was kind of foolish because Kucherov was nowhere near a threat to take the puck, and you would have thought that the Islanders would have had uh, no problem making the touch-up under those circumstances, and yet Pellick got involved. The interference call was made. It was technically the right call, and you knew also in a game where the referees were letting everything go, more or less, letting them play, uh, you already had a call against Sergachev that gave the Islanders their one power play of the game, so you knew Tampa Bay was most likely going to get the next power play. And yet, at the end of the day, you know, they gave them that power play, and it, it, it just did not work. The penalty kill couldn't clear the zone, and... At the end of the day, Point puts it home. Hedman again, uh, you know, with an assist in Kucherov. 18 assists in the playoffs right now for Nikita Kucherov. Other than that, you know, you, you, you the, the other problem I had, the reason it was so devastating, I'll give you two reasons why. Number one, it happened with 20 seconds left in the second period. And goals in the last minute of a period, especially in a close game, tend to have more emotional impact because it changes the tone, it changes the feel of the game, and it gave Tampa Bay a lot of momentum and, and changed the complexion of how each team was going to play the third period. But the other reason that it hurt was this. Tampa Bay had the one nothing lead on the goal by Yanni Gord midway through the first period. And in the second period, the Islanders got more momentum raised their game, started to play better hockey. And before, you know, the goal by Clutterbuck came at 17.01 of the second. And before that goal was scored, you could feel the Islanders getting the momentum. They had 13 shots on goal in the second period to only nine for Tampa Bay. And of those nine, more of them came early in the period. So the Islanders were just absolutely starting to uh, 
take back the momentum of this game when when they tied it finally and it was like less you know two and a half minutes later a little more than two and a half minutes later all that hard work down the drain and they were down by a goal again and all that momentum that they worked so hard to develop and to create went down the toilet and uh you know you end up down a goal again at the end of 40 minutes that was extremely disappointing it took the air out of the uh, momentum that the islanders had built and it really sort of quieted things down at the nassau coliseum which you don't want to see happen either so for those two reasons it was a very deflating goal and 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 it ended up being the game winner for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now we're going to talk about the Islanders offense in game three. Kind of disappointed in that and we'll break it all down for you. More to come on the Locked On Islanders podcast. So we mentioned that the defense did a, a good job, played well enough to win. And Simeon Varlamov played well enough to win this game. But the offense did not. And, you know, Offensively, the Islanders win most of their games by being gritty, by forechecking aggressively, by forcing the other team to turn the puck over, whether it's in the their own zone or in the neutral zone, and then counterattacking off those mistakes. Well, for too much of this game, the forecheck wasn't good enough, and... Too often as well, I felt like the Islanders were trying to make pretty plays and make passes that weren't there instead of going to the net and going for those rebounds and deflections and tip-ins and trying to earn dirty goals. Look, the one goal they got, the Cal Clutterbuck goal, was a dirty goal, and I think part of the problem for the Islanders in this game is that it was the fourth line, the identity line, that created most of the chances or the most chances and probably, you know, was the only line that was consistently getting in on that forecheck and getting the job done. And, you know, Matt Martin, four shots on goal, that led the Islanders as a team, add one for Casey Sezikis, which is uh, always good, and one for Cal Clutterbuck, but that's six shots on goal for the fourth line, and, and, you know, they had less ice time than the other lines. Barzal, Eberle, and Uncle Leo, way too much, too many attempts at fancy moves. Barzal, again, I, I saw him on one play try to fake out three players he did fake out the first two but against a skilled big talented team like the Tampa Bay Lightning you are not going to get those pretty highlight reel fancy goals all that often and if you do it's going to be on a breakaway or a mistake somebody falls down the puck bounces funny or uh, someone is just makes a bad play and is really caught out of position on a line change or, you know, something unusual. And yeah, you got to take advantage of those opportunities when you get them. But at the end of the day, you cannot rely on that. You have got to work harder 
when you're the less talented team on the ice, you got to work harder, outwork the opposition, and get the job done. And that really wasn't the attitude that the Islanders had enough of in this game. And, you know, you look at the shots on goal. Anthony Bevilier, one. Josh Bailey, one. Brock Nelson, zero. That's the B&B line. That's your, you know, three of your top six forwards. And between the three of them, you have a grand total of two shots on goal. That's not going to get it done. That's not going to get it done. And this team really has to go back to playing fundamentally sound Islanders hockey. They are going to have to grind it out. Look, they won game one, two to one. They have only scored in three games against this team, five goals, five goals. So the pretty stuff isn't going to get it done. You got to get, you take advantage of the power play when you get the chance and you have got to outwork this team. It doesn't have to be pretty. They don't ask how, just how many. And if you put the puck in the net the way that Cal Clutterbuck did, you're going to be rewarded every time. And Clutter, you know, it wasn't a pretty goal. It's not going to make the highlight reel, but it was huge at the time. It was what the Islanders needed, and it really, you know, ended up being for naught because they took the foolish penalty and gave up that go-ahead goal just two two and a half minutes, a little more than two and a half minutes later. But offensively, we are just not seeing what we need to see from this team. And I think the other problem is this. Overall, the intensity level was not where it needed to be for this game. And look, understand, I am looking at this from an Islanders perspective, but I do give credit to the Tampa Bay Lightning. They helped shut down the Islanders. They limited the Islanders' forecheck and, you know, played a sound defensive hockey game. You can't ignore the fact that the Lightning got their, you know, got the job done and were effective defensively. But if you're the Islanders, you got to outwork them. And, you know, the fans were loud at the start of this game. And the national anthem gave me goosebumps, took my breath away hearing that and the way the crowd responded. And again, uh, Nikki Revive holding the microphone up and letting the crowd, uh, you know, chime in. Yeah, that was that was great. That was really great to see. And while the Islanders did not take the bait and and weren't taken off their game by the physicality of the Lightning as they were in game 2, they also didn't bring enough intensity themselves in this game. And I was disappointed by the way this team came out. They were flat early. They built it up in the second period. Again, defensively, they had it, but in the third period, it just, you know, you're down by a goal. You expect more desperation from your hockey team. You expect uh, more hustle, more physicality, more uh, digging out those loose pucks and winning those 50-50 puck battles, and they just didn't have that extra gear that they had in game one. And... The Islanders are going to win games or lose games most often. 1-0, 2-1, 3-2. It ain't going to be 
or 7-5. That's not the way this team plays. And the amazing thing is, through three games, what do we know? We know that the Islanders can go toe-to-toe with the Tampa Bay Lightning. In all three games, both teams have been in the, the game for the entire 60 minutes. There has not been one game where, you know, the Islanders were the dominant team in game one. The Lightning were clearly the dominant team in game two. Game three, again, just a slight edge to the Lightning. This series is going to be decided by little mistakes and little moves like, you know, like the penalty or the penalty kill. Uh, Little plays that aren't made versus plays that are bad bounces, funny hops. But the Islanders, if they want to win the hockey game and want to win this series, they have to set it up so that they outwork the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that was the one thing that disappointed me more than anything. Uh, The fact that the intensity level did not match the intensity level of the crowd. So if I'm Barry Trotz, I've got to find a way in game four to get my troops ready for what is inevitably going to be a challenging game. And quite honestly, when you look at this series, and we've talked about it on yesterday's show a little bit, now down two games to one, game four, not a must win, but pretty darn close to it. You don't want to be down three games to one, needing to win three straight with two of them in Tampa. Could the Islanders do that? Yeah, but will it be a very, very tall order against the defending Stanley Cup champions? Absolutely. All right, we've got our Islanders' birthday of the day and a look ahead to Game 4. We'll talk a little bit about some of the things the Islanders can do to change their fortunes. All that and more still to come on the Locked On Islanders podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. It is the best-tasting protein bar ever. Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors plus the uh, occasional limited-time flavor? And when they come out with those limited-time flavors, the most recent one that I tried, uh, Grasshopper Pie, uh, you got to get them quick because they do tend to sell out really, really quickly. Here are some of the permanent flavors. Coconut, cherry, raspberry, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, my personal favorite, salted caramel. You love that combination of sweet and salty. And if you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box from uh, Built Bar, which gives you two of each of the nine flavors. Now, most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein in every bar, just 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and only four grams of net carbs. So they're not only great tasting, but they're very healthy for you. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Time now for our Islanders' birthday of the day, and uh, we're a day late on this one, but want to wish a very happy 70th birthday to former Islanders defenseman Dave Fortier. And uh, Fortier... Drafted originally in the second round by the Maple Leafs back in 1971. In 72-73, he made his NHL debut with Toronto. But by 1974-75, he was a New York Islander. And Fortier, a left-handed shooting defenseman, uh, 5'11", 190, but tough. Tough as nails. And, you know, solid in his own zone. Not going to score a lot of points, but... 
again, one of those guys who really was an important part of the Islanders' 1975 playoff run. 14 games in those playoffs for the Islanders, 48 played in, had two assists and 33 penalty minutes. Stayed with the Islanders for two seasons, 74-75 and 75-76. Moved on to Vancouver in 76-77. Played one year for the Indianapolis Racers of the WHA in 77-78 and then finished his career with the Erie Blades of the uh, Northeast Hockey League before finally retiring. We're going to go back and look at one of Dave Fortier's better games with the Islanders. October 12th, 1974, Islanders taking on the Kansas City Scouts, who are now the New Jersey Devils. And uh, this one at the Nassau Coliseum, the goaltender for the Scouts was Peter McDuffie, while Glenn Chico Resch was in between the pipes for the Islanders. It was the Scouts getting on the board first. Butch Deadmarch, his first of the season, Chris Evans and Dave Hudson with the assist. Hudson, original, uh, an original Islander. That goal came at 8.06. Then the Islanders get a shorthanded goal. Jean Potvin, his first from Burt Marshall at 13.24. It was tied at 1-1. Gary Howitt gave the Islanders the lead. Jerry Hart and Bob Bourne the assist at 14-41. And then in the final seconds of the first period, Dennis Potvin got his first goal of the year. Uh, Jerry Hart and Ralph Stewart with the helpers at 1936. 3-1 Islanders after one. Now, you got to remember, this is only the second game in the history of the Kansas City Scouts. And they... You know, this was also their second road game. In the second period, Islanders adding to the lead. Dave Lewis, another uh, physical defenseman, got his first of the year. Burt Marshall and Andre St. Laurent with the assist at 102. And after two periods, 4-1 Islanders. Then, in the third, Dave Fortier, our Islanders' birthday of the day, with his first goal as an Islander. Bob Bourne and Bob Nystrom with the assists at 316. Ralph Stewart added a power play goal, his third from Dennis Potvin at 519. And then Randy Rhoda finished out the scoring for the Scouts, his first from Wilf Paymont. Final score, Islanders 6 and the Kansas City Scouts 2. Scouts out shooting the Islanders in this one, 36-29, 34 saves for Chico Resch, 11,801 fans on hand at the old barn when it was the new barn back then. So, again, uh, we went back and looked at the very first goal as an Islander for our Islanders' birthday of the day, Dave Fortier. He is 70, or at least he was turned 70 yesterday, so happy birthday to Dave Fortier. Gotta think ahead now. For game four. And again, I don't anticipate lineup changes. Nick Letty frustrated me a lot in the game. But again, you can't really replace Nick Letty because of his. He's one of the few uh, defensemen who provide offense. And I think you have the same situation uh, when, when you look up and down the lineup. Uh, at Noah Dobson. You're not going to replace Dobson because they don't have guys who can do what he can do offensively. We do have, by the way, uh, 
a, an email question that came in, so I wanted to discuss that. Uh, this one is from Neil from Washington, D.C., and thanks very much, Neil, for uh, listening and for sending in the question. Uh, sorry I missed this one. Uh, got it late last night. So, Gil, what is your take on Pelik pushing Braden Point into Varlamov in Game th- uh, game 2? Was it just a careless play, or did Pelik do that deliberately, hoping to draw the goaltender interference call on Point and put the Islanders on the power play. If it was deliberate, causing a high-speed collision with your own goalie seems like an unnecessarily risky way to draw a penalty. Your thoughts? Neil, uh, I have a, a, a few thoughts about this one. Look, I think this was really, more than anything, a desperation play. And Pellick saw a potential breakaway with a dangerous player barreling toward the net, and he tried to push him so he couldn't get a good shot off or maybe get him away from the net. It wasn't intentional on the part of Pellick, but it did end up drawing that controversial penalty call, and the Islanders did cash in with a goal by Brock Nelson. So thank you, Neil, in Washington, D.C., for that question and for listening to the show. Always great to hear from our listeners. Looking ahead to Game 4, that intensity level has to be there. First and foremost, they've got to forecheck and force Tampa Bay to cough up the puck the way they did in Game 1, clog up that neutral zone. And I I think, you know, again, I would put Wallstrom into the lineup, whether you take out Uncle Leo or, more likely, I would take out Zajac. Uh, I, I think that Wallstrom would give them that little boost offensively that they really need, especially on the second power play unit. I still don't think Barry Trotz will do it. I think he's more comfortable playing the veteran. But, you know, I think Wallstrom would definitely give this team a boost. Defensively, just keep doing what they did in Game 3. That's absolutely fine. But offensively, you got to play for those dirty goals. You got to outwork them. You got to forecheck them. And you got to clog up the neutral zone and cause turnovers there. Or else... You're not going to score trying to get those pretty goals. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Islanders podcast. Uh, We'll be back with a new show uh, on Monday. If the Islanders win, I may do a bonus show Saturday night. So uh, check for that. I'll tweet it out first when it's coming. And uh, look, this may be the last game at the Coliseum. I hope it's not. But Saturday night, if the Islanders don't want it to be, they've got to give their all. And uh, hopefully the crowd, in fact, no, not hopefully. I know the crowd will be there and be loud. So looking forward to that. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy Father's Day to everybody. And of course, let's go Islanders.